Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee faithfully served the Lord for more than seven decades, co-laboring with Watchman Nee in China in the first half of the 20th century, before continuing his ministry in Taiwan, later in America, and eventually over the entire earth. He spoke these weekly Life Study messages before thousands of people, and much of his speaking has been published as over 400 titles. These life studies are perhaps his most significant work, taking 21 years for him to complete, and we're happy today to be able to bring you selected portions from those messages. If you'd like to find out more about his ministry, about the life studies themselves, and Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. Now let's join today's program. Christian workers are almost universally driven, even compelled, by the ambition to make their church or their ministry bigger and bigger. But the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13 don't put such a positive emphasis on bigger. There, all the value is placed on that which is genuine and growing in a healthy and proper fashion. Don't miss our life study today from Matthew chapter 13 and the parable of the tares. Bob Danker has joined us again. Welcome to the program, Bob. Chris, it's very good to be with you again today to consider this matter of the kingdom of the heavens and what it really is. We saw that the very first parable in chapter 13, uh, an entire chapter really of parables dealing with the kingdom, but this first one is different from all the rest. Uh, And this is the parable of the sower. What's different about this parable, Bob, and why is it significant? The first parable in, in Matthew is different because in speaking this parable, the Lord did not refer directly to the kingdom. In the other parables in this chapter, the Lord said that this parable directly concerns the kingdom of the heavens. But the first parable, he did not say this, because in the first parable concerned the Lord himself as a sower who went out to sow the seed. And what the Lord was doing here was the preliminary work for the establishing of the kingdom of the heavens. During the Lord's life and ministry, the kingdom of the heavens had only drawn near, but it had not come yet. The kingdom of the heavens actually came later, after the Lord was resurrected, and the apostles began to preach the gospel, and they sowed the seed, and the seed began to grow and produce the constituents of the kingdom whom, as we will see later, are the sons of the kingdom. You know, Bob, as we got into this this first parable, uh, one of the striking things is that the establishment of a kingdom, uh, normally our natural concept would be this is something governmental, administrative. But here, the way that the Lord preliminarily established the kingdom was to plant seeds of life. That's right. This shows us, Chris, that the kingdom of the heavens is... 100% a matter of life and not a matter merely of the exercise of outward authority. Well, we're going to go on today, Bob, look at the second of these parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13, and this one begins at verse 24. Another parable he set before them, saying, The kingdom of the heavens has become like a man sowing good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares in the midst of the wheat and went away. And when the blade sprouted and produced fruit, 
Then the tares appeared also. We're going to look at the parable of the tares in Matthew 13 today, Bob. Let's join Witness Lee. In Matthew 13, in verse 19, it says clearly that uh, the seed sown by the Lord is the word of the kingdom. That was in the first parable. The seed was the word sown into humanity. This seed has gone on to grow into the sons of the kingdom. Firstly, the seed is the word, and eventually the seed has become the persons, the children, the sons of the kingdom are the kingdom people. These are the real believers, regenerated with the divine life, and these are the ones who have the life within, so they are the wheat. And then the tares, the Lord Jesus told us, are the sins of the evil one. Another source, the tares, if you do know the wheat field, you could see the tares from the beginning are exactly the same as the wheat. And I read a paper that says even a top expert cannot desert. No one can discern the difference between the tares and the wheat until what time? Until the blade, B-L-A-D, the year, that means the fruit, comes out. The fruit of the wheat is uh, yellow, and the fruit of the tare is black. Now you see the sins of uh, the kingdom, having the divine life within them. And uh, you can see the sins of the evil one, the false believers, who are the believers in name without having the divine life in them. And these are the sins of the devil. These two, the wheat and the tares, they all grow in the same field. And the field, in the Lord's interpretation, is the world. Don't think the field is the church. The false ones are growing with the real ones in the same world, in the same field. The field refers to the world. This must be clear to all of us. In the world, in the society, you have the real believers, and among the real believers, you have the false ones. But in the church, it shouldn't be like this. Well, Bob, we know that each of these parables are important tools to help us understand and see what the kingdom of the heavens is like, because they all start out with this phrase, the kingdom of the heavens is like. We know that the tares represent false believers, Bob, let's start with the basic question. What constitutes a false believer? Yes, Chris, this is very important for us to understand. A false believer is a, is a believer in name only, one who has never personally believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and has never received Christ and has never been regenerated by the Spirit so that he has the divine life within him. 
So a false believer may be a, a good religious person who even believes uh, somewhat in the Bible, but personally he's never received Christ as his life, and so he doesn't have God's life within him. Bob, the other point that was made right at the end of his speaking was about the field. Uh, he, ins- he said very clearly it's important that we understand what the field is in this parable. What does the field refer to, Bob? Well, the Lord himself uh, told us in verse 38 that the field is the world, not the church. The world and the church are not the same thing. We know that the, in the Bible the world refers to just humanity in general. The world includes all the human beings in the human society on this earth. So the Lord's word here clearly tells us that it is in the world where we can find both the true believers and the false believers. This should not be the case in the church. In, in the genuine church, there should be no false ones. There can be only the true believers, those who have believed in Christ, have received him, and who are the sons of God. They are the genuine children of God because they've been born of God and they have the life of God. So this is a very important thing for us to know, that in the church there should be no false ones. But in the world, what we see is that there are many false believers who are there existing among the true believers. Well, Bob, in this coming section, we want to examine the matter of the tares a little bit more. And by going back into history, as we're going to do, I think the magnitude of the problem that this creates for God in his kingdom will become a lot more evident to our listeners. So uh, we're going to, as I said, go back in history uh, to the time of Constantine the Great. And Witness Lee's pronunciation of of his name is maybe a little hard to catch the first time, so I did want to make sure our listeners knew what it was in advance. It's Constantine the Great. Of course, he was an emperor of the Roman Empire in the 4th century and was largely responsible for the spreading of Christianity as the official religion throughout the empire. So let's go back to Witness Lee. The Lord Jesus came. He didn't sow the tares. Yeah, He sow what? The wheat. In his preliminary work of sowing, he only sowed himself. And you shouldn't say he was careless. He was very cautious. He was very careful in his sowing. So he only sowed one kind of seed. Then, from where the tares came. You know, the slaves asked the Lord, and the Lord said, Aha, just because you were sleeping. When you were sleeping, the enemy, the evil one, Satan, came in to sow another seed. And this, no doubt, happened by what time? By the time not too long after the church was established on the day of Pentecost. The evil one came in to sow another seed among the wheat seed. By reading Acts, some of the chapters indicate the false ones came in apparently as the real ones. But they didn't receive 
Christ into them as their life. They were tares, not the wheat. If you read the history, my, after Constantine the Great came to take up Christianity and made it a kind of a state religion for the Roman Empire. Constantine the Great did his best to encourage all the Romans, all the heathens, tens of thousands, to be baptized into Christianity. That was the greatest time for the evil one to sow the tares. I would say by that time, probably 10 tares against one wheat. And from that time onward up to the present time, my history tells us in the so-called Christendom, millions of so-called Christians. Well, Bob, Constantine the Great played a very critical role in the development of Christendom. And we use that word carefully because his idea was to make, as we just heard, Christianity, the official religion of the empire. But why did this create such an opportunity for God's enemy to come and sow tares among the genuine wheat? Millions and millions of unbelievers, those who had never really believed in Christ and had never been born of God, they came into the so-called church or the so-called Christian religion even by being baptized. So they were baptized to be Christians, but they were never regenerated. So this created a a tremendous problem uh, uh, in the church, a problem for God, because God's kingdom is a matter of Christ as life being sown into the hearts of men and growing there to develop into the kingdom of God. And here you have... Among these true believers, you have many, many, many who were not true believers. But on the one hand, they were not true believers. On the other hand, they appeared to be believers. Uh, It was difficult to discern who were the real ones and who were the false ones. In appearance, they looked to be the same, but they were not the same. And this, this was done by Satan, God's enemy, to uh, frustrate the growth of the genuine seed of the kingdom that was sown into the true believers so that God's kingdom would not be able to develop and be manifested ultimately. So this was a master stroke uh, of Satan, and this opened the door for him to sow many, many false ones, nominal Christians, Christians in name but not in reality, among the true ones. And this, as I said before, frustrated God in his economy uh, to bring in his kingdom. So today, the situation where you have many, many false ones among the true ones, it has continued until today. So in many of today's so-called Christian churches and Christian organizations, there is such a mixture, a mixture of the nominal ones the ones who are Christians in name, but who have never really believed in Christ and have never really been regenerated. A couple of things, uh, Bob, uh, that come to mind here uh, that I would like to clarify. Of course, uh, this action by Constantine, this judicial action really requiring or somehow outwardly rewarding people for taking the name of 
Christianity or, or becoming a Christian in name only, uh, and then certifying that by the act of baptism caused the numbers to swell dramatically, no doubt, in the appearance of Christendom at that point in time. But this is not the kind of growth that uh, God is looking for. So your comment here a moment ago, I wanted to come back to and ask you just to clarify a little. How does the presence of these false ones amidst the genuine believers become a kind of frustration? Well, it frustrates the growth of the genuine ones. Uh, normal situation, you don't have the false ones. What you have is only the true ones who are loving the Lord, seeking the Lord, and daily growing in the Lord. What they want to do is to gain more of Christ, and they want Christ to increase within them. But suppose you take a group of genuine believers and you put them among some unbelievers. What will happen? Well, these unbelievers will begin to influence the, the genuine ones, and there will be a slowing down of the growth, and there will be, I would say, a cooling down of the, of the love for the Lord among the true believers. This is really what we see in today's Christendom or Christianity. We see many, many genuine ones, but they are frustrated. They are tr- very much held back from, in their pursuing of Christ and in their growing in life. Well, Bob, the outcome of this parable sets up our final portion today. Verse 27, And the slaves of the master of the house came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did the tares come from? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and collect them? But he said, No, lest while collecting the tares you uproot the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, collect first the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them up. But the wheat gather into my barn. Bob, let's go back to Witness Lee. Oh, this is an age fully complicated because Christ has come and he has sowed the seed. And the enemy came in and he also did something. And this caused the complications. So in this age, you have what? You have the world people. Then you have the wheat, the sins of the kingdom, the children of God. Then you have the tares, the false believers, the nominal Christians, the sins of the devil. And among the uh, children of God, the sins of the kingdom... Some became degraded. They became abnormal. So you have four classes of people. The normal real believers, the abnormal real believers, and the false believers, and the world of the people. Day after day, we are just contacting all these four categories of human beings. Even I'm afraid in your office, right now, you could have these four kinds of people, the world people, the false believer, and the real believer, yet becoming abnormal, and you may be a normal, a real Christian. You just have to face the situation with a clear view of today's age. We would not stand with the world. We like to be a real and normal believer. A real sin 
of the kingdom. We live a life according to the constitution of the kingdom of the heavens. And we are just growing Christ by such a life lived according to the constitution. We are growing Christ. And whatever we grow will be the multiplication, which will be the constituent of the kingdom of the heavens. So today we are not only in the reality, but we are the reality. Then when the Lord Jesus, the king comes, right away will be there in the manifestation to shine over the world, to rule, to reign as his co-kings, to enjoy the heavenly part of the millennium. Bob, what a wonderful, marvelous concluding word today. Eventually, all mankind can be divided or incorporated into these four categories, the normal believers, the abnormal believers, the tares or the false ones, and then, of course, all the worldly people. Let's spend a couple of minutes looking at these four groups, Bob. Yes, the important thing here, Chris, is that every day we are contacting people who are in one of these four groups. In fact, Witness Lee pointed out that in your, in your office you may contact all four kinds of people. Uh, so we need a clear view of the complicated and mixed situation that we live in today in the world. And this clear view can help us to know where we should be. Of course, we should not be among the worldly people. We should separate ourselves from the worldly people who don't know Christ and have nothing to do with God. On, on the other hand, we should not also not uh, stand together with the false ones who are religious in name only but have n- nothing of Christ within them as the, 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 the genuine life element. And also, we also have to realize that among all the genuine believers, there are many who are not normal. They are not living a normal Christian life. That means they are not living and walking according to the Spirit. They're not living a life according to the constitution of the kingdom of the heavens, which we saw in the previous broadcast in the earlier chapters of Matthew. No, what kind of believers should we be? We should be the the genuine and normal believers those who are growing in life, those who are living not by the natural human life but by the divine life, and who are living according to the constitution of the kingdom of the heavens. If we are such persons in the midst of this complicated and intermixed situation that we face every day, then the Lord, when he comes back, will reward us by bringing us into the manifestation of his heavenly kingdom. And in that manifestation, we will reign with him as co-kings. So it's very helpful to us to know what the situation is today, and it's very uh, good for us to definitely make a decision as to what kind of person we want to be. In what category do you want to live? Do I want to live? I want to be a genuine believer who is normal, who is living in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens today. Boy, Bob, that brings a wonderful um, topic up that we don't have time to touch, but what is a normal believer? Our aspiration doesn't need to be to be a spiritual giant or some uh, great figure in, in Christendom, but just to be a normal, growing believer. That's right, Chris. 
Thank you, Bob. I wish we had more time. Let me just quickly leave our listeners with our toll-free number and an invitation for you to call us and find out about the materials we have available. That toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And please join us again for another Life Study from the Book of Matthew. For Bob Danker today, I'm Chris Weil. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you'd like to read the works of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, just visit our website, ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll find over 600 complete titles available to read online free of charge. Witness Lee's ministry stood squarely on the shoulders of his mentor and co-worker, Watchman Nee as well as those of countless ministers of the New Testament throughout the ages. The riches contained in his life study of the Bible represent the top, the cream of his 70-plus years of ministry and range in topic from lessons for new believers to commentary and exposition on passages from every book of the Bible. But they all contain practical and deeper truths about the Christian life. Again, this wonderful online resource is available to you free of charge at ministrybooks.org. If you have questions or comments about this ministry or the program you heard today, email us radio at lsm.org or call us toll free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening today.